second. 2020. That's a lot of multiples of two. That's fun. <gasps> Where am I? I'm in a black box of emotion and I can't see myself on YouTube. Here we go. Off we go. All right, we're launched. How are we? Good evening. It's uh, Wednesday, April 22nd, uh, 2020, I think. That's the year, right? 2020? I'm going to assume that, that that's correct. Um, how are we? I'm, uh, I'm well. Extremely busy with both jobs. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, it's been a busy week. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about economic climates such as these is that sometimes people are looking to sell off their company's assets and that means that other companies are able to purchase them uh, perhaps at a slight discount. So there's been a lot of back and forth on stuff like that. But that's all I'm going to say about that part of my life. Uh, but this has been very, very busy for me on, on this front as well. Uh, the videos are starting to come in hard. We are going to be finishing a video tonight. Uh, so after this, I'm just going to burn through the rest of it. There's uh, The patrons will get it first thing in the morning tomorrow. Um, and then uh, McKean's people will be getting it Friday and we'll make it public on Sunday. Uh, and then there's going to be another one. Patrons will probably get it Saturday morning. Uh, or Friday night, I'm, you know, I got family things to do uh, on the internet. So we'll be doing that. Uh, but this weekend it'll get done and then we might even have as many as four shot this weekend. Um, we, we might have as many as four shot this weekend, which is, which is good. It depends on how much tracking I can get done between now and then. Um, but we're very close to being done all those players. And, uh, beyond that, uh, still rolling. Um, there's, I'm starting to also develop some visualization tools that are going to be coming out. Um, patrons have access to them, to the, to the original ones, but, uh, there are some others that I'm kind of tinkering around with and trying to make look pretty, uh, in, in Tableau. So those will get shared out when they're prepared. Uh, and, and when there's more data to, to, to have as a backbone and, uh, they'll be updated as I track. So patrons will get those first, of course, but, uh, at some point in the near future, those are coming out. I've also started a ranking, uh, for, I hope by the end of April, um, just trying to get some more viewings in on some guys I haven't seen in a while, uh, track some data on some guys I don't have a big enough sample on. So by the end of the month, you should see some rankings come out from me, uh, first, and then, uh, then that'll be it. Uh, and then the, the someone's been mentioning a few times in these that they want to see a, like a methodology kind of breakdown, uh, kind of similar to what Scott Wheeler did. And that's something that might take a little bit of time, but, uh, definitely we'll be putting that together, uh, in, in some way. I mean, I have so much data, uh, or by data, I mean video clips that I've saved of, of all of the players that I've tracked that it may as well go through them and pick up exactly kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, to, to get at what my sort of philosophy is um, and really try to nail down exactly what my philosophy is. I mean, I think it, I think I know kind of have a grasp on it based on how much I've seen this year uh, and, and how my rankings have shaken out. But uh, look for that stuff in the, in the near future as well when, when I have the time to get to it. But the videos are obviously 
focus number one and the and the data tracking itself is also focus number one a i would say because that's what everyone's paying for and it and it would be very nice to have a robust data set going into the draft uh whenever that might be anyway we're going to dive into the questions here uh, i always end up falling behind because of uh long-windedness which i'm always trying to cut down on um first question of the night i'm also gonna i'm sorry but uh i'm gonna need to start making a little bit of a filter for for some questions here um ask whatever you want uh but based on time constraints i'm not sure if i could get to absolutely everything anymore we're getting to over 50 people uh at peak time in stream and and it can get a little bit whelming um but definitely ask all the questions you want um and if they don't get asked uh, they'll get asked event they'll get answered eventually uh so if you you know if you're a lifer keep coming by uh but i'll but i'll try to get to every question but but i cannot guarantee anymore with with all the viewership that's come up in the last couple of weeks that i can keep up within good time constraints and give what i feel are good answers uh anyway ryan Frechette starts off tonight uh, are there any high are 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 high danger chances only based on location or is velocity and other things a factor so that's a really good question um i uh it is based on location primarily um and i've done it based on traditional methodologies of high and medium danger areas so the slot area in front making kind of i i draw it out in the in the videos um maybe i can pull one up here uh i'll pull one up in the meantime but it but it really is sort of the slot area in front um that I'm that I'm looking for and I'm stalling for time while I pull up the thing here here so this is Lucas Raymond's shot breakdown just so you're aware uh the the I'm pointing at it as if you can see my finger um but the 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 red trap like kind of pentagon is really what I'm looking for as me as high danger uh and then pretty much everything in the yellow is medium danger um and then everything outside of that is low danger. There are things that I might call modifiers to that. So if there's a cross-ice pass that comes from low danger and goes through medium danger areas to another low danger area, and the goalie's out of position, I might upgrade that to maybe medium danger and just say there's more there's more of a chance of this puck going in than than there usually would be. Or if a puck, you know, it's it usually is pre is pre it comes immediately after a pass. So, so that's kind of where things might, you know, um, you know, change. And there are certain things that I kind of, you know, like if there's a wraparound, it's always hard for me to judge just how dangerous of a shot that is. So I might upgrade it because technically the player is shooting it from directly in front of the net and there might be just, it's, it's a bit of a murky thing there. Um, so I kind of just use my best judgment, but it, at its core, like that that's like 99% of <clears throat> that that's about 99% of of the shot attempt areas that I look at. I think that next year I might tweak it because um because I, I when I was in Columbus, I think it was Evolving Wild. Those guys did a, a a basically different versions of their expected goals model and and tried to fit it as best they could to reality. And it and it seems more like um concentric sort of circles of danger so i might change it to be more of a round sort of 
like expanding the goalie's crease to basically encompass more high danger area and then maybe the further out areas at the tip of that pentagon might be more medium danger but either way i think shooting from directly between the face-off dots straight down the middle of the ice is a pretty dangerous opportunity you're facing the goalie and it's pretty close um and and it is generally what i'm doing anyway um, but it, it, it's just something I've thought about tweaking, but I still think the results that I'm pulling are relatively accurate, especially when you consider sort of the modifiers that, that go on there as well. Cause it isn't just strictly like, you're right. It isn't strictly just where you're taking the shot from. Um, so I try to approximate it as best I can, uh, judging based on the situation that's going on, but, but it's way easier to just visualize it this way. Um, Anyway, yeah, so, but that's a good question. Um, Luka Tkalcevic, I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, sir. Uh, anyway, <laughs> thoughts on Jean-Luc Foudy. I, you know what? So Jean-Luc Foudy is an interesting case. Um, if you're a type of person who likes betting and risking everything on just pure upside, this guy might be your guy. Uh, I have heard things where he's going to be falling in the draft here and there can't say how legit that is but my hunch is that that would be true uh some injury things might be an issue with him um but but the results that i've seen from him on the ice in an offensive sense are staggeringly good uh the points aren't there but if you look at who he's been playing with a lot this year they're not really other offensive players that you would like he's been playing a lot with guys like curtis douglas um, and Will Cooley, who are two guys that I certainly wouldn't pair with Jean-Luc Foudy, um, or at least they're not deploying them that way in a way that I think generates a lot of points for Foudy. But I think that what you're getting with Foudy is, from what I've tracked of him, just a playmaking and zone entry wizard. So he is pretty much, that that's his game, is moving pucks up the ice with control on his own stick, um, and and making plays in the offensive zone it's it it, that's so much his game that it's almost the he's one of the most frustrating players I've tracked this year where there are so many situations where he'll be holding on to the puck and holding on to it 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 and you just wait for him to do something and then he just gets knocked off the puck like it's nothing and it's like okay he has the mobility he has the skill he has the the brain to be patient um he has all of the tools there to be a really good playmaker, but you're really, really betting on a lot of things going right for him. Uh, so he's a guy that that I will very likely be putting a video together on. I like him a lot for what he is. I, I think that he does a lot of things really, really well. Um, I just don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that he's like a first round pick type player, but he's just outside my first round, and that's only because I am one of the people who like to look at the positives and say okay here's here are the positives and here how here's how good they are and then you look at the limitations and go even with these limitations look at how good these certain results are um and i think foodie's one of these guys so i'm willing to bet on him a little bit more than i think most people but this is a guy that there are people out there thinking he might just drop like a stone in this draft because of of a variety of problems that people might think. I mean, I don't see him as a guy who's going to drive to the front of the net all night with the puck. He's going to be driving the puck to the net on a pass where someone else is going to have to clean up for him. But I think that that's perfectly fine. Um, so I, I like him. I know a lot of people don't. Um, but I, I think that in terms of just pure potential, 
there's a lot there. Uh, okay, so I'm not going to order the player's mic that you that you put, but I'm going to pick one that I would start a franchise with. So Rasmus Dahlin, Miro Haskinen, Quinn Hughes, and Kale McCarr. I take Rasmus Dahlin, I think. I think that the two-way game that he plays is something that you build around. Um, I mean, I would take any of those four. I, I think there are players that are more exciting than Rasmus Dahlin, but but in terms of effective two-way defensemen, like those are those are the defensemen that you cannot that are hard to find. Haskinen is another one. I I would I would love to have Miro Haskinen on my team too, but Rasmus Dahlin, I think just at both ends of the ice with his calm, dynamic skating ability and his puck moving, he's so young. I think he's got all the potential in the world to be a, just a remarkable defenseman for the Sabres, uh, a player that that just will be rock solid for them forever. I, I think Quinn Hughes is a fine offensive defenseman, fine in his own end. He's extremely talented, still very young, but I just feel that that rock solid two-way minutes-eating guy can be a nice piece to, to, to build on moving forward. Uh, but any one of those four, I wouldn't complain, but I just kind of lean more Darlene. Uh, thoughts on James Hardy, a second rounder. Mm, I don't know if I like him that much. His date is really good and he got better as the year went on. Um, I think I could be wrong. I think his shooting percentage is pretty high at even strength. Let me see. Uh, he is shooting. Where is it here? Oh, not really. 11%. So he's, he's a guy that I do want to see more of, but what I've seen of him, I think that I'm not sure where he goes in terms of in his future. I don't. I don't think he's a second round pick. I have him ranked at the end of the third, but but he's a guy who I think could be easily pitched as a higher number than that. I just don't think the skating is quite on the on the right level um, as some other guys who put up similar production and similar numbers like him. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that there's just. I don't know if he's enough of a, sort of a needle mover offensively to be be really uh what what he could you know what what other players similar to his profile could be uh he's a player that's ranked really really low by central scouting though i don't really understand why i like him a lot of his data checks a lot of the boxes and he's a player that i definitely need to see more of but there's a lot of players i think in the second round that i think i would definitely jump at before james hardy but third fourth fifth ish excuse me sure and according to entry and a few subscribe to central scouting being sort of like a gospel he could be available in the seventh round for all you know and that wouldn't be a bad swing in the seventh round if you ask me uh, but i don't think he'll last that long uh oh boy angus crookchank is here hello how's the career doing well good good to see you uh jasper hansen what prospects are you most excited to look at for 2021 uh dylan gunther is one scott morrow is another um i've seen a lot of ratu play he's obviously extremely good as well uh i like luke hughes a lot obviously um owen power is an interesting sort of two-way more defensive defenseman who i will actually really who i've really enjoyed watching like he's one of these higher end defensive leaning two-way defensemen that i really like uh he's big he can skate he's great in transition he doesn't overcommit physically but he can you know knock a guy on the, on the ice if he needs to just seems like a really smart two-way guy for his age and a player that I think with Chicago could go a long way. Um, definitely, though, you know, the, the, I'm trying to remember some others, but like Dylan Gunther is the one that I'm really, really excited to look at. 
Uh, if any others pop up, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, Glass to Cat. If you were offered first, ov- if you had first overall and you were offered Jack Hughes straight up, uh, would you do it? If not, what pick number would you do it for? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I would do it for Lafreniere. I don't, I don't think I could do it for, uh, I don't think I could do it for Quinton Byfield either. But Jack Hughes, if I was offered Jack Hughes for, I'd say third or fourth overall this year to pass on guys like Marco Rossi or or Lucas Raymond or Tim Stutzla or Jamie Drysdale, then sure, I would do it. I think Quentin Byfield's ceiling is probably is like limitless. Um, I think Alexei Lafreniere is is an extremely hard type of talent to find at his age. Um, and I love Jack Hughes. I think Jack Hughes slots into this year's top three no problem, uh, and that makes a really hard decision in that top three. But I would have a really hard time passing up the chance to draft Laugh or Byfield for Jack Hughes. Um, but yeah, I three, four, three or four probably I would think about it. But boy, that would that would be something. Uh, hey, Will, who would you take in the second round between Wiesblatt, Heinemann, and Brisson? I would probably lean Heinemann. Uh, his results are so good and and he played really well from what I saw in the SHL this year um and I, and I I just really really like him I would think about wise Wiesblatt to, to as well um I think I have him ranked higher uh if I'm not mistaken okay so they're literally back to back there you go um I think Wiesblatt at his best I think is an extremely talented player really really fun offensive player I haven't ex- found his defensive game extremely in- inspiring, but he's a good player. Uh, Heinemann, you know, his numbers kind of blow Ozzy Wiesblatt out of the water. Um, in terms of sort of even strength scoring, he's a better primary generator, uh, you know, better catalyst of team offense on a, on a pretty good team as well. Um, all of his points at even strength uh, were primary points, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Um and I think that, yeah, the Swedish Junior League is not on the same level as, as I would say, the men, the, the, the Canadian Junior Leagues, but they're not a joke. And he improved so much over the last year from what I've heard that, that you know, it might be worth taking a real good look at this guy. Um, you know, he's doing a lot on his own with his team. So I like him. I, I think he's the guy that I take in the second. Brisson, uh, yeah, I... I'm I'm more skeptical on him than than others, but he's not far behind these two guys. I just think that a lot of people are being, you know, taken away with his power play play. He's really smart for sure, but I think you know you you can be very smart and also still not be be good enough to make the National Hockey League. I think I think his skating needs to come a step. Uh, I I think his passing is. A little bit lackadaisical, I think, in transition. He can, you know, he loves to do that just sort of bump pass. So the puck comes to him and he just kind of shovels it to a teammate. I feel like that's something that that can get you into trouble if you're not really, like, what I would call executing. Like, he doesn't execute. He kind of quarterbacks and kind of manages the ice when he skates around, which is fine. It's just not really my kind of player. Um, I, I think he's a I, – I don't know if he's a first-round pick to me. If someone else thinks that, then that's, I can see why. I just don't agree. His shot is ridiculous. He's got a great shot on him. Um, but I think that when you look at the other two guys you mentioned, I think there's more ceiling with Wiesblatt, but a lower floor. And with Heinemann, 
he's a big question mark if this is actually what he is or if he's just having a great year. Um, but but based on what I've seen of him playing in professional leagues in Sweden, he doesn't look out of place there. And I, I, there was a couple of situations where he could have had even more points than he had, uh, which weren't that many, but but still it would have added up to be pretty pretty decent in, in the games that I saw him play. So I'm just a big fan of Heinemann. I like Wiesblatt's ceiling and Brisson. I think I'm cooler on him than most, but but I certainly see why people like him so much, I guess. Uh, where would you put Jack Hughes in this year's draft class? Well, I I guess I answered that. I'd say somewhere in the top three. Like, if I had to pick between Lafreniere and Hughes, I'd probably go Lafreniere. But if I had to pick between Lafreniere and Byfield, I lean Byfield. But again, like, those two things could be very... That would be very close to me, personally. Um, thoughts on Sean Doogie? Lots of fun. Uh, tiny little guy, works extremely hard on the ice because he has to. Um, a fun college player. I'm glad that teams are kind of poking around at him with development camps and everything. I, I think he's a, you know, interesting talent. I don't, I don't think I would, he's a guy that I would reach out on an AHL deal. He seems like a real good dude, uh, real hard worker. I just don't know where he goes after his NCAA career, but an AHL deal, I'd give him a go and see what he can do. Because he certainly has earned it on its own. Um, thoughts on Cameron Suprika and James Mayotte? I don't know those names. Uh, I will I will write them down and, and look them up here. I'll, I will copy and paste. And there we go. I will take a look. But thank you for the heads up. Uh, Nathan Leger. Leger. Uh, hey, Will. Personally, I think Byfield will undoubtedly be at least the second best player to come out of the draft, but I've heard concerns about discipline, acceleration, and puck handling. Okay, so I, my interpretation of when you say discipline, I agree with. So there's situations with Byfield where he seems to be waiting for offense a lot in the defensive end. He seems to be... You know, like the game I watched him most recently in Tract, he was playing wing most of the game with, um, oh, I can't remember who was playing center, but he was playing wing most of the game, so he was kind of allowed to get away with that a little more. But I found defensively he could just, you know, when it came to transitions across blue lines and everything, he seemed to be just not fully engaged, you know, fully engaged in... um, he just didn't seem fully engaged in, in stopping that transition. He just kind of sat back uh, and and just would let things sort of happen. But uh, when he starts going and he gets the puck on his stick, I, I don't know. Acceleration with him I don't think is an issue. And puck handling with him certainly is not an issue. Uh, he can sometimes be a little clunky from time to time, sure. But, you know, at his best, he's a phenom, I think. Uh, you know, great end-to-end sort of speed and skill combination he's a great playmaker with a great shot uh he might not be like a phenomenal two-way player in the nhl certainly but when i look at him you know i think the ceiling for him is very sort of austin matthews like if you look at austin matthews he was born in mid-september so he was one of the oldest players in the draft class and if i look at at quinton byfield right now and i look at you know him a year from now you know, in a year from now, he'll be about the same age as Austin Matthews was when he was draft eligible. I think it'll be a month separated. And I could easily see that the year after this one, if Quentin Byfield is not in the NHL yet, he hits the NHL and and has that sort of a skill profile. Tons of skill, tons of speed for someone with his size, goal scoring ability, 
and playmaking ability that's kind of underrated, but I think Byfield will have more of that playmaking or maker's sort of ability. But I'm more getting at the sort of size and skill aspect. So it's an interesting combination that it's really, really hard to find. Um, I don't think he's as good of a goal scorer as, as Matthews, but he certainly can score pretty well. Um, and, and his playmaking ability is really, really good. So, uh, but in terms of discipline and defensive play, like again, similar to how people are criticizing Austin Matthews now, I can see the same kind of criticisms coming for Byfield recently. Um, you know, there, there's some stuff that is not great, but, but again, when you draft a player, you're focusing on the positives, you're focusing on what you're getting. And I, I think it's worth, it's worth the risk for sure at, at two, uh, based on what I've seen of him at his best. Um, Mike Malloy, Sunday, you said you were surprised the Canucks took Pod Colson. Any certain players you don't expect teams to take this year? Any that you think possibly won't mix well? Um, I wouldn't say that Pod Colson wouldn't mix well with Vancouver. I was just surprised mostly because of who was on the board and what I felt the Vancouver Canucks could use more of. And, and the fact that the Canucks seem to be in this mode of, we want to start pushing things along with our team's development. They have Hughes, they have Pedersen, they have Besser. And waiting two years for Pod Colson, sure, you wait two years for many other players. Um, but, you know, I really thought, I'm just going to look at the draft, um, just the draft results, because I was, like, I thought that they would take a really hard look at someone like an Alex Newhook. Uh, I mean, you look at, uh, let's take a look here. I mean, Cole Caulfield was available. Um, I, I really, really thought that Alex Newhook was, you know, right in their backyard. He's a really, really tremendously talented player. Um, not that Pod Colson isn't, uh, but, but it was just a surprise to me to see them to go in that direction where, you know, I personally feel that Pod Colson's long-term offensive upside might be kind of, eh? but in terms of an excellent two-way, hardworking, determined team guy, you know, that can be your middle six winger down the road. Certainly, I think Pod Colson could be that. Um, but it just felt like kind of a weird direction that, that the Canucks went. And it was really surprising to me at the time. This year, I mean, it all depends, right? It depends on who's drafted where. I mean, if we look at just a random NHL draft lottery that I just ran, I mean... It would really surprise me to see a team like Montreal take Yaroslav Askarov, for example. Like, they have Carey Price. He's signed forever. They have Caden Primo, who's developing and coming along pretty well. Uh, and drafting another goalie would really surprise me. Um, I mean, if, if I, I'd look at teams that have drafted a, a lot of similar things and then continue to draft the same at the top end of the draft. Uh, that might be a little bit of a weird thing to me. But it's hard to tell until the draft actually happens because I don't know who who goes, I don't know who could go where and, and, and what the situation might be. I mean, there's a lot of players that I think could jump up really, really high. And, and, and it would surprise me in the sense of like, you know, at sixth overall, if Jamie Drysdale goes off the board at three and a team takes Jake Sanderson, because I read today, like teams are desperate for defensemen. I'm happy to let someone make that decision. And that pushes other players further back. And that would surprise me. Um, I mean, it wouldn't, surprise me but it would surprise me i guess i would say <laughs> i don't know how to explain it really i mean it, it would be it wouldn't shock me but i'd be surprised because again it goes back to that discussion of drafting on need when you know the player isn't going to be on your team for at least two more years and 
God only knows that 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 how much an NHL team can change in two years and how much your weaknesses and strengths can change. So the focus on current issues with your pipeline or with your team being rectified in the moment uh, seems a little bit strange to me. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. Um, what are your thoughts on Will Cooley? I remember you hearing speak negative of his game. Yeah, so Will Cooley, uh, I, I, I just don't think that he's like, extremely effective outside of his bread and butter which is just chasing guys down and 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 hitting them he's a good skater he's a good powerful winger um but whenever i've seen him play i find he kind of disappears unless there's a guy that is bobbling a puck around and he can just crank them he's got a decent shot on him um but i feel like when i watch him play with will with with jean-luc foodie i look at will cooley playing with jean-luc foodie and go okay, where is the lack of production coming for either of these guys? Is it Will Cooley not finishing Jean-Luc Foudy's work? Or is it Jean-Luc Foudy not doing enough to get Will Cooley in a good position to score? And I just cannot find a way to slice it where Jean-Luc Foudy is not doing enough. He's driving more offensive transitions by far, more than anyone I've tracked so far this year, by a really high margin. Passing pucks to the middle of the ice, him and... I think Quentin Byfield are pretty much in a league on their own right now. Um, that is subject to change. I'm not done tracking those guys, but but all of the signs point to Will Cooley maybe being a nice third forward who can create space for teammates, be a good team guy because he goes out and crushes dudes. But that's not something I'm looking for in the first round, personally. And if people want to do that, by all means, go nuts. Um, I just have never been really enthralled with, with that. Um... So that's just kind of my vibe. I mean, I, I like guys who can hit, but but hitting is sort of not the part of the game that I'm really putting a lot of stock into in the first round of the National Hockey League draft. I have him ranked, but not necessarily very highly. I think when he has the puck, he d- often seems like he doesn't know what to do with it. Um, and, and it just, you know, plays seem to die when the puck gets on his stick. But when he's away from the puck, he can be a wrecking ball, which is a lot of fun for sure. Uh, would you take Teddy Niederbach in the second round? Uh, no, probably not. Uh, where are we here? Damn, it keeps moving my thing around here. Okay. Uh, a few NHL scouts allegedly said Clevin will go in the first. Which team does it, and would you draft him at all? Well, uh, we ran a tankathon here, so let's take a look at who has late first round picks. I, I wouldn't do it. I've never been particularly impressed with Tyler Clevin. Again, a guy who can hit, a guy who can smash, great. Uh, not an awful, as far as I know, uh, not an awful two-way guy. A bit of an offensive black hole, so that's questionable. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at, you know, who are the teams that are looking for a player like that? I mean, out of nowhere, just looking at this, the first team that jumps to me is the Rangers at the 23rd slot with the Carolina pick. They seem to, you know, their defense, their selection of types of defensemen, like they, they probably, they might look at a player like Ryan Lindgren and go, we need more of that because he wasn't bad. He wasn't terrible with the Rangers this year. And they might look at him and go, we need more of this. And, and, you know, they've been known to draft sort of these more high energy physical guys. There's, there's Brendan Lemieux who they didn't draft, but he plays there. Um, and, and they're not afraid of these physical guys who are really focused on playing physically. And if they see a potentially elite, 
quote-unquote physical defenseman, whatever that means, uh, and guys like Caden Gooley are gone and Braden Schneider are gone, uh, then maybe the New York Rangers take a swing on him. Outside of that, I don't know. I don't really think the Dallas Stars will do that. Um, I mean, they did the Jamie Alexiak thing and that, you know, I'll let you decide how that went. I don't see the Sharks doing that. The defensemen they draft are way more uh, mobile and aggressive and offensive. Um, I don't see the Flyers doing it based on who they drafted last year. Like they got the Ronnie Adderd pick and he, I didn't think he would work out and he had an okay first year in college as a 20 year old. So whatever. Uh, Vegas maybe a team that, that goes for a Tyler Clevin. They seem to like these big physical defensemen. And if you can get Derek England 2.0 out of them, great. Uh, but yeah, not not my first choice. But those are the teams that jump out to me. Uh, but it also really depends on, on who goes where. Uh, or sorry, it also really depends on, on what the playoff situation is this year, if there is one. Um, who was your favorite player to track this year? Well, by was, I'm going to assume you mean like maybe the guys that I've finished. Um, you know, I really enjoyed tracking Lucas Raymond. Um, I was most pleasantly surprised. Uh, I was most pleasantly surprised by Lucas Reichel. Um, but Lucas Raymond was really, really fascinating because I went in totally with a blank slate and thought, I need to understand what is going on with this guy. Cause he came out as this guy's the next big thing in Sweden. This guy is the Swedish guy of the future. He's this, he's this, he's this, he's amazing. And he was amazing at the under 18. And then all of a sudden people look at his point totals and go, Oh, maybe he isn't, maybe he's this, maybe he's this. And people who do a little more digging were going, yeah, but like, look at his possession numbers. Look at, look at his in limited ice time on the fourth line of this team, sometimes 13th forward usage. Look at all of this data that that's amazing for him. What, and why is he not scoring? So that was a really interesting experience because I came away with a better understanding of like, I mentioned it in the video, all those little things in hockey, right? Like hockey is a game of, to me, probabilities of encounters of, of, of managing probabilities, managing risk and, and maintaining possession of the friggin' puck. And when it came to Lucas Raymond, a lot of those little things that were resulting in play moving positively, he was extremely good at. And 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 he does all those little things really, really well. And I don't know if he was specifically being coached to focus on those things more in, in lieu of offense. Uh, but at the same time, this wasn't like this guy was, uh, you know, a terrible offensive player. As a playmaker, I certainly think that he's, uh, you know, got a lot of potential. Maybe not so much as a goal scorer, but but definitely a lot of, of, of playmaking potential there. I mean, I'm looking now... In the last two games of his that I tracked, he played a total of... I'm just going to do the math really, really quickly. But in the last two games that he played, he played a total of 13 and three-quarter minutes at even at five on five. So 13.75 uh, minutes times two is... Uh, oh, boy. Equals 13.75 times... Times two. Uh, divide by 16 is that... And then this, because he made in those two games nine pass attempts and four of them were to the slot. Um, equals four divided by that. That's 8.27. Is that right? That doesn't That doesn't seem right. I'm doing quick math and my brain doesn't seem to want to work. Um, anyway. Um, ugh, I can't do math right now. My brain is too frazzled. It's been a long day. Uh, but four dangerous passes in 13 minutes of ice time is 
pretty good. Uh, and his rate was also pretty good for that as well over the course of the seven games. So not terrible. Um, and that was the most interesting one for me so far. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed watching guys like foodie play because of how good their, some of their data is, um, and, and relative to what people are, are sort of knocking them for. Uh, but yeah, I, I've liked the, I've liked Raymond for sure. And I was most pleasantly surprised with Lucas Reichel, I think, uh, coming out of it. And I, I mean, I loved Murat Kuznodinov just for how he played. Um, but that was pretty much like for me after watching one game, and watching him at the under 18s, I, I just went, all right, this guy's great. I, I think this guy's got a lot of potential. Um, tons and tons of, tons and tons of upside, but you know, it's not there yet, but you can see it and you see what he's doing and how he's thinking. And you go, okay, I, I think I get what, I think I get the picture and this guy's going to be a good player. And so after one game, it was kind of like love at first sight. Like he just knew that it was a player that you were going to, you know, whereas with Raymond and Reichel, I think all seven games were like, you know, I'm strapped in. I want to see what happens. Um, Mathis Desjardins, thoughts on Mitch Miller, defenseman for the Tri-City Storm? Yes. Uh, the more I watch of him, the more I really, really like. He's been just bursting up my ranking. This is why I haven't put a ranking out yet because there are a lot of players that I do, that I'm not tracking yet that I want to at least see. Um, I, met, I, I noted him when watching Colby Ambrosio uh, and... I mean, the guy's an, an unreal defenseman. He's got great numbers uh, at, at both ends of the ice, frankly. Um, Tri-City is a team without a tremendous amount of offensive weapons. This guy can skate unbelievably well. He's he's an extremely fast straight-line skater. He's explosive. He's aggressive offensively as well. And and there's a lot to like about him. I think, I think he's a guy that I have in my second round. I could rank him higher than the end of the second round by the end of the year for sure. Uh, I love his mobility. He's a little older for the draft class, which kind of holds me back a little, but he has no problem moving around the ice. He has no problem playing offensively for a defenseman and his defensive numbers are pretty good. So I think he's one of these guys that's so effective offensively that, that he doesn't really need to worry about defense so much. Like that's kind of why I critique decisions like taking guys like Tyler Clevin in the first round. It's like, gosh, he's so good in his own end. He's so good defensively. But to me, I want my defensemen to not even need to play in their own end. I want my defensemen to move around the ice so effectively and move play with their stick so effectively and shut play down so effectively that they don't spend very many very much time in the defensive zone anyway. My whole team should be built around that philosophy. You know, like if you isolate a player and say this guy's great because of how he plays when the puck is very close to your own net. It's like, well, why don't you just not have it in that area as much and use players who can you know, drive results by having the puck not be there. I don't know. Maybe I'm minimizing the impact of stuff of stuff like that. But you know, drafting short by short, I mean drafting low upside in terms of offense players in favor of more punishing defensive players. I find you know creates the conditions for your team not to be able to play offense. Whereas I would much rather a team be good offensively so that I spend very little time relatively in my own end. That's just kind of my hunch. And a guy like Mitch Miller plays an aggressive offensive game for sure. He's, he's got good defensive numbers, but from what I've seen, he does that by being very aggressive and using his mobility to his advantage. You know, really similar to a guy like Zach Jones last year. I, I think Mitch Miller could drive his way up the rankings, at least mine, uh, before the end of the year. I'm a big fan of his. Oh, the boogeyman is here. That's no good. I was wondering when you were going to show up. 
And it's the Boogeyman 101, the first one you meet when you go to university. Uh, have you gotten the chance to see Nikolai Mayorov this season? I have not. Um, I can't watch everyone. I'm sorry. Uh, I could be... Oh, wait. Um, and yeah, no, I haven't seen this guy play. I, I, I think I've seen Cedar Rapids play once. Um, when I Googled his name, uh, when I Googled his name, he, uh, showed up, um, as a, as a blue link, uh, so, or as a purple link. So I have looked at his profile before on elite prospects. Um, let's take a quick look at his data. So I'm wondering why, oh, probably this. So a lot of his data looks pretty spectacular. Um, he is a two times overrager playing in the USHL, but stranger things have happened. A few of those guys have been picked before. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't say I've seen a tremendous amount of this guy play where I've noted it, but I've certainly looked him up and his numbers look extremely good. So maybe a late round pick guy for, for a team that's willing to take a look at him. Um, but for all of this positivity, like you have to keep in mind that next year he's going to be, you know, he's going to be turning 20 in May. And so he'll have like two or three years of runway to really take some steps beyond the USHL. And he's not eligible for NCAA hockey either. So I don't know if that means he, you know, goes undrafted and goes to Russia and maybe you take another look at him for the draft next year. Or he, you know, he could, you know, maybe go back to junior in Canada and play an overage year or try his luck in the AHL or something. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got great numbers, um, but he's a guy I probably need to see more of. Uh, hey, Will, what's your opinion on William Dufour? Good skater uh, for a guy that size. Good profile in terms of being a physical sort of power forward guy. Um, I, I think Dufour has talent. He's on my watch list. Um, that hasn't updated yet, uh, right? Has it? Yeah, he is. Okay, so he's on the watch list for the year. I, I think he's pretty solid. Uh, really good sort of powerful offensive you know physical guy uh not sure where his ceiling takes him but if he's around later I, I think that with his physical play someone will will take him earlier but I mean if you're looking at him versus someone like a Will Cooley for example uh who is another one of these sort of physical high octane I'm gonna get you type players you have a guy who plays in Drummondville and doubles Cooley's involvement percentage so I mean in a relatively small sample um, you know, dub basically doubles him in a lot of offensive metrics. Um, and you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that Dufour does offensively, at least much better as a physical sort of power forward, uh, than a Will Cooley does. And I think that, you know, you could get a Dufour later in the draft, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he goes a little higher, um, since of, since he's a physical, physical dude who drives offense that way. Um, but I don't know if scouts are out there going, well, the QMJHL isn't as physical and he wouldn't get away with it in the NHL. It's like, maybe, I don't know, but kids got good results, right? Um, so, so I kind of dig him. Uh, I only have Cooley ranked because I think that Cooley can skate pretty well. Dufour just plays hard. Um, he can skate fine, but I think Cooley has a, an interesting mix of, of skating and, and physicality that might turn into something one day. Uh, and Dufour, you know, I think he has more offensive tools, but I'm not totally sure that it's on that, that the, the projectability is the same in terms of being the same thing as a Cooley does, but that is also very subject to change. Um, he's a guy that I'm going to see more of as the year goes on. Um, Michael Goot, is he underrated? Um, I've seen him play a couple of times with Everett and, uh, 
some of his metrics look good, but again, he's a guy that I don't think is much of a needle mover. He's got a good shot on him, decent offensive tools. Uh, you know, when goals are scored when he's on the ice, he's the one driving the bus a lot of the time. I just don't he just he's a guy that I don't think there's enough there. I think his skating is kind of average. Um I, I and I, I don't I don't think I see it for him, at least not right now. If I'm not mistaken, he's one of the youngest players in the draft, right? Yeah, August 16th. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I'm not totally sure. And yeah, I'm not surprised at the 176 ranking in North America by NHL Central Scouting. I think the skating is something that, that is a bit of a concern. Um, but it isn't like he's a total mess that, that won't get drafted. He'll get picked up, um, I think because of you know his data looks pretty good but i'm not totally sure that of his projectability personally uh jasper johansson is it difficult to try and find a drive to make content when small amounts of people are watching it one rude uh (laughs) two uh no because this is what i want to do right like when i go to bed this is what i think about part of my anxieties in life are about not getting enough data work done Part of my anxieties in life are not about not getting videos done. I wanted to shoot three videos this weekend and only got to do two. And because of how busy the day job has been, I haven't been able to edit any of them until today. And so, um, and by that, I mean like tonight. So it's a bit hectic for sure. Um, but the other thing is like the growth in the channel is relatively consistent. Uh, not everyone is going to, not not everyone who runs a YouTube channel profiling hockey prospects is going to hit 100,000 subscribers in a month. Uh, at least not without breaking copyright law and, and just doing stuff that people, you know, will gravitate to immediately. Which, you know, not my not my style, um, but it works. I, I don't... I don't really care about the audience, really. I mean, that sounds bad. I care about my audience, but I don't it doesn't cross my mind that, oh, this video only got 300 views or, oh, this video, uh, goes turbo and and that makes me happy. I'm glad that people watch my stuff. It makes me happy. My end goal is still the same, like to, you know, I want to bring home a Stanley cup one day. That's my goal. And it's lofty. It's crazy high. I'm trying to do what I can to sort of inch my way there every day. Um, but, but, and it, and it sounds insane for sure but i in my own brain in my life i don't i i'm the kind of person nowadays who gets crazy insane ideas that you're passionate about and i don't really care like it's 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 something when someone tells you to do that like tells you like follow your dreams follow your passion blah 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 but then some like this whole thing started because of you know some personal stuff that that you know i won't get into but but it kind of kicks you in the butt and it goes, you know what? You get, you got one look, right? Like you, you get, you get one chance to catch a train somewhere and, and I'm going for it, right? Like you may as well. And, and so whether I have a hundred subscribers, like when I used to do these live streams, there was three people here. I don't know if Vice Mahendran is here, but he's like one of the earliest people who joined up and started watching these and started asking questions, you know, and, 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 now we're up to like 40 or 50 people a week and we do this twice a week. Um, and to me, that means a lot. The fact that there's people here who come every week and that I can, that I can remember all of these people and, and your names and everything and start to 
build a relationship through a computer, especially nowadays, like with all this weird stuff going on. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. I'm happy to be juggling it with a, with a day job. I'm, I'm happy to do it as long as I possibly can, as hard as I possibly can. Um, and whatever happens, happens. And look, if I don't, if I don't reach my ultimate goal, fine, whatever, I'm cool with it. Like, I think you have to be okay with, with not getting to where you want to be. You got to really want to get to where you want to be, but I'm not going to start, you know, making, I'm not going to start making things up or fabricating things or inventing narratives that might push me further along, but don't, you know, that might push me further along quicker, but set the stage for a complete disaster when I turn out to be full of shit. And so I don't want that to happen. And I don't, I I don't think I'm doing that. Um, but you know, you got to do what you can every single day and keep working towards what you want to get towards. And you got to be passionate about it, especially if your lofty goals are extremely lofty, which mine are. Um, but, but I still believe in it. And I, I still think that the more I learn, the more I work, the better I get. And, and I'm happy to be making the videos. I'm happy to be making the data for people. I'm happy to be able to turn it into a, a small, small business, but it's a business nonetheless. Um, and the fact that people are willing to pay, pay money and support and do all these things is phenomenal. Um, and, and it, and it kind of goes beyond kind of what I was expecting early on. Um, I thought I would just be some weird dude on the internet just talking about this stuff, but it's now sort of become this thing that, that has become, uh, exactly what it is that, that, that's, that we're doing right now. And, and we're not done, uh, you know, and, and if there is the time when I go somewhere and have to shut this down, it won't be permanent. I won't be employed, you know, in that industry until I, the day I die, I'll probably be back. This is something that I've always been interested in my whole life. And I'm pretty sure that when I'm 90 years old, whatever the internet becomes, I'll probably be back on here after I retire and, and figuring it out if it gets to that point, but that's way down the road. So we'll get to that bridge when we get to it. Uh, but, uh, in the meantime, just a day at a time, right? Um, I saw a few questions during that pop up. So I'm going to scroll all the way to the bottom, uh, and, and just do those. And then I'll go back to the actual hockey related questions. Uh, cause it feels weird going back to a topic like that after, you know, an hour of, of discussion. Um, Also, I saw a message, Jasper. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to bring up a whole thing about you. I just meant that as a joke that it, <laughs> that my audience was small. It is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not stupid. My audience is pretty small, but but they're passionate, and I'm happy. Um, M. Lewis, have you thought about scouting become a main profession in the future? Is that the goal? I mean, I I want to work in in a team like a development. You know, I don't I don't want to be the scout on the road all the time. That that's not that takes away from what it is I'm trying to do right? Like I want to be a voice in the room. And if the time, if, if, if it ever gets to the point where I get the ability to progress past that point, great, sure. But you know, my goal is basically, you know, being on the road and going to games. Sure. If, if that's, you know, what I'm offered, I'll, I'll take it into consideration. Um, but, but that's not really my bread and butter. And, and I know that there are people out there who say you need to be in the rink because then you don't get you don't get this, this, and this, and this. And I go, okay, fine. I'll let you go to the rink. I'll stay at home or stay in the office or whatever and watch one player game after game after game after game after game 
And in a week, if it's a eight hour a day gig, I can probably get through five or six games of one player. And in a week, that's 40 games. So you, you can have your philosophy for sure. Go nuts. But with me, I can't be in the rink and track at the same time. You can't do that. You, I, I watch play. I, I might watch a shift on average twice because you need to make sure that you're not missing anything and you need to make sure that what you're seeing is what you're seeing. And if you're saving clips and saving video for archiving purposes, you need to be sure that what you're saving makes, you know, makes sense as to why you're saving it. What is it about this that sticks out? Why am I doing this? Um, so I'll watch shifts or at least individual encounters or plays more than once just to double check and make sure that everything is, is right. Um, and you can't do that at a game. Sure, there are things that you might miss if you're at a game or if you're not at the game. But at the same time, I have advantages too as the guy with the data, with the you know tracking work, with the video, with the archived clips that I can then save and, and go back to. So I don't want to be the guy that replaces a whole scouting staff because that's also legitimate. I think that their job is perfectly realistic and legit. But I would like to be on the data side of the team doing data analysis, watching video, analyzing the video, tracking data, building a database for, for the, for the team, uh, and, and going from there. I don't know what that, where that takes me. I don't know what, but, but you know, it seems like, like I can go around the world in a night and watch a player from Russia and then go and watch a player from Sweden and then go watch a player from Finland. And then I can talk to the Finnish prospect guys or the Swedish guys or the Russian guys and we can all have a nice beer together and talk about the guys that we've mutually seen. And and we can all sort of inter, you know, mix all of those opinions together. And I think that's perfectly logical. Whereas if they just hire me and say, oh, this is the video and data guy and we're going to make him go around to a bunch of, you know, junior a and, and ohl ranks in the greater toronto area because he wants to be a scout like that just doesn't really line up with my a- ambition but if that's if that's what's offered then then it's something i would think about um but yeah it's a it's a complicated sort of question but but kind of not not in my wheelhouse for the work that i've done um and any advice for a college student? Uh, okay, so it depends. You got to kind of know what you want to do, right? So if you want uh, if you want to be sort of doing this sort of data work, then absolutely you should be, uh, you know, I would start with sort of the free resources for sure. So the easiest free resource is the Russian League. Uh, brush up on your, I guess you don't have to anymore. All the names on the jerseys are, are in Latin alphabet, not Cyrillic anymore. But you can definitely go back and practice i guess you could say times are quiet right now um all those games are free on youtube pick a player right so i don't know uh marat kuznetinov or uh, alexander Pashin or uh who else is in the mhl this year or if your team has drafted a prospect from the russian junior league or the whatever just go check out a couple of games and track a few shifts track what's going on Build your own sort of philosophy as to what you're looking for in a player. Um, you know, really study the game. Like, like that's kind of how I also got sort of fell in love with the actual video work is just sitting back and watching teams play and really paying attention to moving the puck, where the puck is going, where the players are. Watching really, I also found it really fascinating watching really bad teams 
and watching really, really good teams play really, really bad teams. Like, if you want an adventure, go watch, like, the the, the Chinese junior teams in the MHL play, like, you know, Avto Yekaterinburg or uh, who else is a good team in the East? Uh, Tolpar Ufa. Like, those te- those games are just nightmares to watch. But But it's good to see the disparity between a good junior team and a bad one. And, and understanding sort of what those differences are and why things can get so bad. Um, so just explore and, and look around, study the game, read what you can about, about tactics. Ryan Stimson's book, uh, it, it, um, I, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I have it in here somewhere. I don't I can't find it. Um, but it's a lot of like graphical, tactical knowledge about the sport. And I find it really fascinating just to sort of flip through once in a while i like it a lot uh it's it's a, it's not an it's not the easiest read in the world but if you really really love the sport it's good to flip through i haven't read through all of it um but just going through it and reading about tactics and and deception and how you move the puck and how you move bodies and and play physically and all of that to sort of maintain possession and play a more modern game is great um so just kind of work around and sort of work on developing your own sort of philosophy around the game and 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 be willing to be be willing to change it as well. Like things will change and your brain will change the more you watch and, and be way, be very aware of the Dunning Kruger effect. I certainly was guilty of it early on where you think, you know, a lot and then you start studying it more and then you realize how complicated things can get. And then you start to build actual expertise. So not saying I'm an expert by any measure, uh, but, but just something to be aware of, like, just keep going, keep doing your thing. If it's what you really, 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 really want to do, uh, then go nuts. Uh, and, and if you're doing it right, and if you're refining things as you go, you'll get somewhere somehow. And if you, if you start talking to the right people, sometimes the right people will find you and you just sort of build a relationship and you can go from there. Um, that, 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 that's kind of the, the crux of it. And again, I started this whole thing when I was in my mid twenties, like I'm, I'm turning 30 in three months, three months yesterday. It's not, you're not done when you're in school or when you come right out of school, you're not done. Um, so, so just, just do your thing. That's really it. Uh, okay. I'm going to circle back. We're going to get back onto the hockey topic. Um, Mr. Trush. Hello, Trush. When you're watching a game, do you try to scout multiple players at the same time? Or do you focus only on one player? I focus only on the one player. I, I watch it. I look for what they're doing. It, if I'm watching a game and someone pops up that, that I really have am noticing a couple of times, I'll make a note and say, I'm going to check them out later. It might just have been a good shift or a good couple of game or a good game here or whatever, a good period, but I'll check them out and, and try another game or something and, and see what's there. And I've found good players doing that. Like Arseny Gritsiak last year. That's how I found him. Um, Marat Kuznadinov this year at the under 18 last year. I really liked what I saw out of him. Um, and was surprised that Russia would take such a young player to the under 18s. They usually don't. And now I understand why. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that it, in terms of the tracking, it's only one player. Sometimes if it's like later at night, I'll just put a game on and just watch it. Like last night I was watching St. John play, uh, drum or, uh, uh, me just to see those two teams play and just sort of sit back. Cause a lot those, both those teams have some good players. I want to just keep an eye on. Um, and just sort of sitting back and watching those games, I can, I can sort of keep my eye on multiple players, but in terms of the tracking, it's only, it can only be one player that that's, they need, it needs my focus. Cause my, I, I can't do all of that at once. Um, and I would recommend doing the same thing. 
uh, Brian Schlaff. I think Parker Ford will be really good. Potentially. Uh, how would you compare Holtz to Caulfield or Quinn to Caulfield? Okay, so Cole Caulfield, I think, the big criticism I had of Alexander Holtz was that he doesn't push to the dangerous areas whatsoever. I mean, if you want a guy shooting from the from the face-off dot or from the face-off circles out near the boards, it's probably going to be Alexander Holtz. Uh, but but Cole Caulfield, I think, he's got more shiftiness to him. I think there's more puck control to, to Cole Caulfield where he can sort of cradle that puck, get low to the ice, um, and, and use that short stick and short stature to his advantage and sort of protect the puck and move around the offensive zone a little bit. Alexander Holtz is a little bit more of that sort of straight line uh, speed guy who can shoot the puck at full speed and, and absolutely rip it. So I, I think that, you know, based on the, the all-around game, what I, from what I've seen, I like Cole Caulfield more, but Holtz is not that far behind. I think Holtz is just a different brand of goal scorer. Um, Jack Quinn... Jack Quinn might be more on that Cole Caulfield style of play. I would not I would not put him on the same level as a goal scorer, but I think that shifty sort of, you know, move your quickly moving your feet around the offensive zone, not just in a straight line type scorer. I think Jack Quinn could be a guy um I think Jack Quinn could be a guy that 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 fits that mold a little bit more. Uh I I don't think he's sort of that fly down the wing and shoot it from, you know, outside the faceoff dot you know, and, and put a top shelf type of player. He'll, he'll be a lot more careful about it and pick his spots a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that helps. Uh, Xavier Bourgo is on the older side of the 2021 draft, but he had a fantastic year and I don't see him in any 2021 ranking. I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, I can't remember what team he plays for even. I, again, I usually only just look at the guys that are available, uh, in, in this year's draft. And if there's guys in next year's draft that catch my eye, then sure. Um, okay. So he plays for, uh, um, Shawinigan. I have not seen this play this team play enough. I p- might even just go back and watch some of their games tonight after I finish the video. Um, I I remember him kind of sticking out from time to time. Um, but I can't be confident. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I I don't really have a good answer to your question right now. Sorry. Um, Keith French fries. Hi. Uh, you're considering putting Askarov in your top three. Tell me why I'm right and wrong. Well, you're right because if you're right about Askarov and he's third overall and he turns out to be a franchise goalie, which he could be, then yeah, they're worth their weight in gold. Like if, like, let's take a look here. Uh, Was Carey Price 2005? So looking at the 2005 NHL draft, if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah, Carey Price went fifth. I mean... The guys in front of him, Sidney Crosby, Ryan, Bobby Ryan, Jack Johnson, Benoit Pouliot, even the guys after him, you know, like, would you take a Carey Price over Anze Kopitar even? Probably. Uh, Tuka Rask went 21st overall. Would you take a Tuka Rask over a TJ Oshie? Probably. Uh, Tuka Rask over Matt Niskanen? Probably. Tuka Rask over James Neal? Probably. Mark Edward Vlasic? Probably. Justin Abdicator? Probably. Paul Stasny? Probably. You see my point. Goalies that are extremely good in the NHL are worth gold. So having him third overall and, you know, outside of Byfield and Lafreniere, where I think that you might be looking at those two guys and going, yeah, those guys might be real needle movers that that a goalie might be able to rival if it all works out, but you 
are pretty sure about these two guys are they're gonna be great um whereas with a goalie you're always running risk i mean you run risk with everyone at the top end of the draft for sure but but i think that you're not you're not wrong because if you're right it's 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 great because you have your franchise goalie for 10 years but if you're wrong uh the only reason i could see you being wrong is because goalies are weird and sometimes when play gets ratcheted up it's tough i don't think that's going to be the case with askarov the only reason i don't have him ranked higher is because i think the guys i have ranked three through nine are pretty special that are pretty hard to find and less risky than a goalie um because I'm skeptical on goalies, but if I were to bet on if I wanted a goalie and I knew he was going to be at least a number one, let's say I was, I had a crystal ball and I was certain, I could put him as high as six or five. You know, I don't know if I would pass on a Raymond or a Stutzla to draft him or a Marco Rossi, but I would certainly, if I knew he was going to be a good number one goalie, I would say, then sure, I would, I would take him sixth. And say, you know what? I like Jamie Drysdale, but I'll take the goalie because the goalie's stopping pucks. Um, but if he was like a franchise guy, then sure. Third, if you think he's going to be a franchise goalie that you're going to, every team in the league is going to wish they had, then sure. Third overall. But you're running a pretty big risk of that because of the inherent risk of goaltenders as they get older. But he's got a pretty good resume. Uh, oh, I lost my spot. Here we go. Cole Sillinger is a very good promising player for 2021, but do you think he might be too power play reliant? Uh, he only got 53% of his primary points at even strength. Okay, so I can't... It's early. Uh, I He's young. Um, I know... I see what you mean. It is a little bit of a thing that, to notice, but I find that that's also something that's heavily dependent on deployment. Uh, he might have just been... Since he's young... They might and so talented they might have said let's give this guy a chance to flex his muscles on the power play more and as a tactical decision that might be where that's coming from and then next year you might see that sort of regress to something more normal uh i i don't i don't know i don't really like looking at nitpicking stats early uh like last year at this point Connor zari looked like a remarkable draft pick i think he's a good player but i certainly wouldn't put him as high as those numbers last year would have indicated uh so just like picking individual stats and finding them troubling about players eligible next year, especially like guys like Cole Sillinger, where you're kind of projecting them to be really high picks. They, they might just be put in favorable positions that might entice situations like that, considering how talented those players are and how much they're just trying to get their feet set in major junior hockey. So, yeah, I mean, sure. It might be a little bit of a question mark, but, but I think that, you know, it's, it, you just kind of notice it and then might think about it from a tactical standpoint and go, okay, we'll circle back on this in a year and see where we're at. Uh, and then another one. Did you see Ryder Korzak had that big of an involvement percentage, 40, 85% or something? Yeah. Ryder Korzak on paper looks like Connor Zari did last year at this time. Just on paper, a remarkable, remarkable player. Um, I, I like him a lot from what I've seen, but Moose Jaw's a hard team to watch. They were pretty bad down the stretch, and hopefully Ryder Korzak helps turn that team around um destroyer of moons are there any players you're tracking by advantage are, are there any players you're tracking who are blowing you away yeah um yeah i i, I there's a few i mean there's a lot there, there, there's there's tons um i realize i just went all over the place with that statement i mean marco rossi his numbers are bonkers um 
John Jason Paterka is a fascinating one because his shot numbers are terrible, uh, but his individual numbers in terms of driving transitions and, and passing are pretty darn good. Um, Jean-Luc Foudy is the one that sticks out too to me quite a bit. Uh, Daniel Gustin, Daniel Gustin as well is arguably one of the better players I have on paper uh, that I've tracked so far. Not done him though. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, that that of the higher sample guys that I have, those are the ones that kind of stick out. Victor Mancini drives really, really good results. I'm surprised not more people are are talking about him. Um, yeah, I mean that that that's the the start of them. <laughs> uh, there's a few other interesting ones coming uh, in video form in the near future as well. Uh, who do you think are some of the top overage CHL players this year? I would say. I mean, Oxentiuk is the only one I have ranked. Uh, outside of that, let me take a look. Outside of that, I mean, Konstantinu might get himself a pick this year. I think he earned one, at least a look. Igor Sokolov, I think, is pretty good. Uh, is a, as a trigger man, he could be something. Um, there's a few guys on Ufa that I like. Igor Suchkov, Daniel Bashkarov, Daniel Alalikin. Just a few guys that I that I like on the, on that team as well uh thoughts on swiss prospects this year not a ton uh simon knack is pretty all right i like him he's a big powerful dude who can who has some nice skill but not a guy i think of as a super high priority pick um but other than that i no one's really jumped off the page i mean benjamin baumgartner is austrian but he plays in the swiss league and he's been pretty darn good this year so he's a guy that i might take a look at uh later on but outside of that uh not a not a tremendous amount going on in switzerland Mr. Seppala. Uh, in your Ronnie Hirvonen video, you made a lot of references to Anton Lindell. How do you compare their skill sets in floor and ceiling? Yeah, so I meant to compare them more directly based on the data that I tracked between the two of them because their ice time, I believe, let me double check. Uh, so over my time of tracking, Lindell played 12.7 minutes at 5-on-5 five five, and Hirvonen played 12.1. So not the exact same, but relatively comparable. Uh, so what I'm seeing is is with Lindell he's more conservative so he will not necessarily drive his way to the front of the net all of the time and park himself there where Hervinen does that uh and that's offensively for that matter um Lindell is more of that sort of neutral zone guy cutting off gaps you know attacking guys with the puck when he doesn't have it um the big knock for him to me is his you know his his skating isn't bad but but it could be improved and his skill is not great i would say like his hands and puck control are not great uh his passing can be a bit iffy at best sometimes um it's just it's just going to be stuff that i think he needs to work through over time but i think he's got all the tools to be uh, a good two-way player in the nhl like a second or third line guy who can who you know like a third line guy on a team like the devils where they already have he sure and, and and Hughes up front wouldn't be a terrible fit, I think. Um, you know, you can rely on him in all areas of the ice to at least clog the play up uh pretty well. And I I, I like Lundell quite a lot. Um and uh yeah. Um so yeah. Uh where are we here? Just sorry, just had to that was my first time ever muting someone. How about that? um okay where were we here now i lost my train of thought uh but anyway with hervin and i think his floor is 
I think Hervinen's floor is lower, and I think I think the ceiling or the the floor on Lundell is higher. Uh, but I think Hervinen could be an interesting two way player in terms of like no BS. Just you can coach him and say, look, I know how you play the game. I like how you do it. Just go out there and keep doing it. Be strong on your feet. Go to the net. Cover your own end as well as you can. Uh, you know, he's got some things to work on, but I think that he's got a nice little profile there. Not a tremendous ceiling, I don't think. Um, but I think that there's a good, you know, like I gave Hervin in a 2A. I don't see any reason why he couldn't over time become a perfectly competent NHL player at both ends of the ice. Uh, whereas Lindell, there might be a bit more risk, in ter- especially when it comes to sort of his offensive game. Um, but he's not all bad at all. And I think that if he can work on his skill and his skating and, and, and keep building on that and, and pushing more into high danger areas with puck, with the puck, then he could be really something. Um, but anyway, uh, okay, let's continue. Matthew Coronado on Chicago was really good. That's true. I've seen them play quite a lot and he's a good player. Uh, thoughts on Edmonton's prospect pool. It's fine. Um, I don't know. It's fine. They're, they're doing an okay job. They made some weird picks last year, but that's okay. Uh, Broberg is a fine two-way guy right now in the SHL. His possession numbers improved quite a lot, but I still think that that was really just a huge swing in that range. Like, I kept imagining the Edmonton Oilers with a Trevor Zegris behind Connor McDavid if Ryan Nugent Hopkins sticks around. Uh, just disgusting stuff. Um, and they already have quite a few defensemen that I think are pretty good, like Bouchard, uh, Bear, you know, Caleb Jones, maybe we'll see, but to take Broberg there was a bit of an interesting decision considering who was on the board. Um, but they're fine. I think the Edmonton Oilers are, are fine with their prospect cupboard. And luckily you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl there forever. And with them, you can basically do anything. Uh, Jake Neighbors or Brendan Brisson? Probably Neighbors. Uh, I don't think either are worth a first round pick. I think I have Neighbors ranked higher. Um, barely. So they're pretty much neck and neck. I think Jake Neighbors has more sort of flash to him, more of that offensive skill. Um, Brisson is a good player though. I, I think that since Brisson is a center and, and can quarterback a line pretty well, I might knock him up above Jake Neighbors by the end of the year, the more I track of Brisson. Um, but I think neighbors just sort of has an all around game and, and a dynamic ability to him that I don't see as much of in Brisson. But again, the knock on neighbors for me is similar to Brisson where it's like, okay, when things progress for him and he continues into the NHL, where is this going to take him? And I think that might give Brisson an advantage where neighbors will have two years in junior to continue developing. Whereas Brisson will be against tougher, I would say tougher competition against older players in the NCAA. And he'll be able to be there for two or three years. And you won't lose his rights for if he is there that third year, if he needs it. So I'm kind of curious about, about those guys' long-term trajectories. I But I definitely think that I would look at neighbors first. But that is very subject to change between now and the draft, I think. Uh, I know that wasn't a very committal answer. But they're just very neck and neck to me right now um Brisson might have a bit more of a ceiling but I think neighbors has more to his game right now than than Brisson does um Sam Kohler hello uh would you take Zari or Jarvis well right now I've got Zari at 16 I think and Jarvis at 21 I I think Seth Jarvis could get knocked up higher on my rankings for sure 
Uh, not sure if I would put him much higher than that. I think Connor Zari is, you know, a smart sort of two-way guy, has extremely good production for, for his for his situation. Um, he got worse and worse in terms of goal impacts over the course of the year. But, you know, from what I've seen of him, I think he's a good sort of line quarterback. I think that you're looking at maybe not a top six guy down the road, but as a competent offensive sort of third line guy, there might be something there. Pretty projectable. Not sure there's a huge ceiling. And he's a guy that I might have lower as the year continues. But with Seth Jarvis, um, I think offensively, there's a lot to like, but I think that people are kind of got getting carried away by just how good offensively he was down the stretch. Um, because defensively, kind of like fine, but not great. And I guess you're not drafting him for that. But his offensive tools are really good. Uh, and once he started showing off his skating a little bit more, uh, definitely improved and a guy that has been coming up my rankings for a while. Uh and the more I watch of him, the, the the more I like, especially later in the year. Like he he's not it's not he's not full of steam. There the production came from somewhere. He's a good player. Um, if you're a Red Wings fan picking at four, Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzler are off the board. Who do you pick? Marco Rossi. Uh, thoughts on uh, thoughts on the other Jack Hughes? I've seen him play a couple of times. He's fun to watch. I I like him, but I'll need to see more. I've seen that team, the U uh, seventeen team, play a couple of times. Some good players on that team, though, I'll tell you. Uh, so strap in for next year. Uh, some people have Jan Kuznetsov in the first round or early second. Is he worth the hype? I don't think so. Uh, I think he's a, a decent defenseman, and considering he's in the NCAA at his age, is is surprisingly impressive. But I don't think that there's enough to warrant a first or a second on him. Like, mid-round, sure. Like, for sure. If you want to take him in the mid-rounds... By all means, go nuts. Uh, I, I look at his track record and I look at what I've seen of him. Uh, not a guy I, I look at super early. Uh, have you gotten the chance to watch Matt Vemichkov? No. Uh, thoughts on JJ Paterka? Fast as hell. Great skill. Uh, tons of fun to watch when he's good. Can kind of be invisible, but that's not the end of the world. I think he's playing in a men's league and playing fine. Um, his team around him doesn't seem to be great when he plays. And I don't really blame him when I've seen him play. He's a guy that's going to get a video, though, so keep an eye on, on him. Uh, how long does it usually take on draft day for a team to draft a player you've never heard of? I think the player last year was... Let me take a look. Um, I think that player was John Ludwig. I think that was a team where I went, oh, what is this? Um... <laughs> the Simon Holmstrom pick was so shocking to me that when it happened that I forgot who he was at the time and then it clicked. Uh, but I think the first one that I had never heard of was John Ludwig. I'm looking now. Yeah, John Ludwig. Everyone else before him I had at least heard. Oh, Matthew Steinberg uh, at 63 to Colorado was another one. Um, that's one where I was like, what is that? Uh, I don't know. But those are the two, for sure. Once the third round showed up, that's when it kind of fell off the train. Now, would you say there's a consensus first overall pick for 2023? I'm torn between Michkov and Bedard. No, I don't know. I think that there's someone who's saying that they know who's going first overall in 2023 and 2020. I don't know. I like Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard. Haven't seen Michkov play, but Bedard, Bedard's extremely good. So we'll say him and move on. Um... 
What do you think Wallander's max upside is, and what do you think of the chances are that he reaches for that? Boy, Wallander, I've said it before, he could be the second best defenseman to come out of this draft. I think that that is perfectly reasonable. Um, It's unlikely, but it's reasonable. I think when you look at Jake Sanderson and you look at what he does, if you want a similar profile but a more offensive player, which is kind of what I'm looking for, Wallander is remarkably good at it. Uh, He was actually a very good defensive player in the Allsvenskan when he played, and from what I saw, he looked pretty good in that level. Um, You know, he's six foot four, I think. He skates extraordinarily well for someone that young. Uh, I think he's a late July birthday. He skates extraordinarily well. Um, You know, tons and tons of transitions on his own stick. He's aggressive as heck, uh, which is fine. You need the right system around him to to fill in the gaps when he leaves. I think on smaller ice, he's going to project really well based on how aggressive he is and how good he is on his feet. Um, Needs to be stronger on his feet. He needs to put on some muscle and I think learn how to play more competent in front of the net, in front of his own net, that is. But in terms of a guy who can dangle the opponents from the defense position, a guy who can skate extremely well for for his age and and for what level he's playing at, I love what he's got. Um, And I have him ranked based on where I think his upside could take him. Um, I don't know if it will. I think he's going to be a guy where he's going to make mistakes in the NHL and it's going to pull your hair out, but you really, really like him at his best. Um, But if things go right and if his Allsvenskan numbers are to be believed... Uh, that might not be that big of an issue. Uh, he might be trying to do too much with his junior team, which I also can very easily see because uh, Moto was not the best junior team, um, especially once it got to the top 10 level. They just had some trouble. Uh, Nick Sabella, could the Devils use a sniper like Holtz more than a two-way defenseman like Drysdale? The Devils could use Drysdale quite a bit. Holtz wouldn't hurt. I don't think you could go wrong with either. Uh, and they might end up with both. I mean, if you take Drysdale, let's say the Devils end up with the fourth overall pick and they take Drysdale. Sure, fine. Holtz at 10 with the Arizona pick, if that's what happens, he could be there. If Jake Sanderson is a top 10 pick, if uh, if Seth Jarvis is a top 10 pick, then Holtz might be a guy that you pick up at 10 and you go to the bank laughing and that's a pretty good pickup at 10. And if you end up with Holtz and Drysdale, that's entirely possible. Uh, I think the Devils might need a guy like Drysdale. I know I just said the word need, but if I'm looking at the Devils and their prospect pipeline, I go, okay, they've got a lot of big physical defensemen who, sure, they're 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 that, great. Um, but what else are you going to put on the ice other than big bad guys who can skate and make a pass to a defense partner who, what, can move the puck and move around the ice a little bit better? Um, because that might be Jamie Drysdale. Not sure who else that is in the Devils. Um, and you're going to get two top 10 picks anyway, either that or, or, a you know, a pick next year, but, but two top 10 picks, you're going to end up with two good players. And I think Drysdale would be a good pickup. And Hey, if someone really wants Jamie Drysdale, you could trade down to seven or something from four, for example, pick up a few picks, maybe a player, I don't know, and go for someone like Jake Sanderson. If you really, really want a defenseman, um, but definitely think that Holtz would be a fine either one would be a fine fit but i lean more in the direction of drysdale um for for the devils specifically uh this year's lucas's versus 2018's Razmai. oh boy um so by t- this year's lucas's do you mean lucas raymond and lucas reichel uh whereas in 2018 there was rasmus Dahlin, 
and Rasmus Kapari. Well, I probably go... Ugh, I don't like that question. It scares me. Um, I probably will go with the one with the best player and call the Rasmai. I mean, I really like Lucas Reichel and I really like Lucas Raymond, but Rasmus Dahlin is bananas. So I'm going to take the one with the best player because if you're trading those two groups of players, you take the best one. Um, so I'm going to say Rasmus Dahlin. Um, okay. What's a type of data that you're not currently able to track that you think might be most helpful in predicting the success of a prospect? Uh, shot assists. That's the one. Uh, definitely want to do shot assists. So maybe not this year, but next year, I think. So anytime a player passes it to a player who shoots it, uh, that's something that I want to do. Um, I don't do it technically, but the dangerous pass percentage is something that touches on that because you ideally want the player receiving a pass like that to be shooting it um ideally if there's a player on the other end so shot assists might be one that i look at um beyond that there's i don't think there's a whole lot that i'm missing i know i said earlier in the year i tinkered with doing a goalie report i don't think i can do that i'm going to let someone else take the you know take the buck on that one um but beyond that i don't really know like i don't really have any interest in tracking hits um i don't and yeah i don't know what else i would i would i would track um i dissect a lot of my data now more so i take the you know you can take the raw data that i track and then build on it to sort of isolate more variables or isolate it to find more more measurements so uh, like I've done a thing where it's like the total number of offensive transitions versus the total number of defensive transitions, uh, the total number of, you know, controlled transitions offensively out of all of the transitions that happen, you know, like you can build on your data that you've built yourself to build more, which is kind of part of the fun. Once you get a decent sample, um, are there any Krebs like players who drop due to injury? Jace, Justin Barron comes to mind, Maxime or Hendricks Lapierre probably that's a legitimate injury concern and he might drop pretty hard uh that's the first one that jumps to my mind um justin Barron might be another one um beyond that i don't know at the top end who's been injured and not dropped um definitely no one in the top range of the draft i don't think thoughts on alex gaffney admirable and tiny uh i like alex gaffney i hope someone takes a swing on him works hard um but i'm not sure that he's got quite enough at least i wouldn't make that judgment like i wouldn't make that pick right now but but if he's available in the seventh and there's no one that i really like he might be a guy i take a look at i think i have him on my watch list um yes so he's on my watch list i think he's got lots of sort of fun potential but i'm not sure that there's enough to be projectable personally but definitely a lot of fun to watch for a small player um mitchell miller reminds me of mark Stahl and charlie mcavoy those are two very different players my friend but i can see kind of what you're getting at uh any thoughts on lucas cormier and where do you have him ranked uh cormier is one of the biggest net differences in even strength involvement and total situations involvement um i don't know i'm skeptical i i i liked him a lot in the first few games of the year that i caught him um but move the more i the more i track and the more i see i kind of start to lose him a little 
Uh, he's a good player, but I think in the second round is when you start to think about it. And I bet you could find him later. I, I bet teams are going to look at his def- his size and his defensive catalyst kind of situation stuff, like his impact defensively and how much he scores on the power play, and go, yeah, maybe this guy isn't the right fit for us. And then, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, you might be able to pick him up and have a laugh. Uh, but I don't know about sort of first round like a few people have him. Uh, okay, what's your opinion on Yoel Mata? Yeah, not totally sure there's much there. I know people like him. He's just kind of not really my style of player. Um, oh, my cursor's showing. How embarrassing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't think there's quite enough there. I see why people like him. He's a physical dude. Um, you know, he's got a good shot on him. Uh, that's not right. Yoel Mata. Rami, the other Mata is a different one, obviously. Um, yeah, but but just not a whole lot jumps off the page is something that I really look for in a in a in a in a center. Um, so yeah, not not totally sure. Um, just just not my type, unfortunately. Uh, after the top two, does anyone stand out due to their hockey sense similar to Zegris last year? Well, I mean Zegris is like a puck wizard magician man. I mean. Cole Perfetti might be up there. I think Cole Perfetti's going to make his money with his brain uh, and his and his sort of ability to protect the puck. I really like him. Um, I like him more and more the more I see of him. I kind of get him more. Some people criticize his skating. I'm not one of those people, at least not anymore. It's a little awkward looking, but he skates just fine uh, around the ice in terms of his speed and everything. Uh, and his game, you know, he's got tremendous skill, tremendous edges, and uh, I think he can be very, very creative offensively for sure, just like kind of a guy like Zegris can. Um, who are some of the most underrated European <laughs> European and North American players? So just underrated players uh, going from round two to seven. So who are the underrated players that are European and North American that could go after the first round? Uh, I mean, I have Marat Kuznodinov ranked 14th. Oh my god, is that how high he's gotten now? 15th. So he's ranked 15th. Ranked 28th in Europe, which implies to me he might be a mid-round pick. I don't know what drugs Central Scouting is smoking to put him that far back, but uh, that's a guy that I think if you can get in the mid-rounds of the draft, you might you might have something. He's a guy that I'm sticking my neck out for. I just cannot get enough of watching that guy play. Yeah, he's a bit small, needs to get stronger on his feet, for sure. I'm not denying that. But, boy howdy, when he gets going, woohoo. Um, you didn't ask about any Asian players, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you Sato out of it. <laughs> I'm half kidding. Or Taruto Nakajima, who was actually pretty fun at the tournament that I saw. He was a good, he was a good physical dude, you know, fun player to watch. Uh, Niraj Reddy, how many NHL games do you watch in a week? I hear scouts say it helps keep them a baseline. Usually during the season, like maybe three-ish, you know? Uh, I will, you know, one thing I do, I do watch, I, what I do is ping pong around individual players a lot in my own time. So I'll, you know, find NHL players and just want to watch them specifically. Uh, so watch some of a game to, to watch how they play and all and all of that um 
I don't, I, with the day job, I don't have a tremendous amount of time to watch a lot of junior and a lot of pro hockey. It's really good to go back and forth though. I will say that like when hockey night in Canada was on, I would turn that on and, and, and watch those games and everything. Um, but just in my free time, whenever I have some free time, I definitely do check out NHL games, but like in terms of game lengths that I've seen in a week, usually it's like in the three range. And it, it is true. It definitely helps you keep yourself grounded as to like, okay, this is what the NHL is like. And then you go and watch hockey elsewhere and go, okay, I can see how this player might have problems if the NHL is like this, you know, and you can sort of go back and forth and, and see how maybe some junior players can score a lot in junior. And then you project them into the NHL and go, I don't see how this works long-term. Um, definitely would recommend that. Uh, is Anton Lindell better than Pavel Zaka? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, I think so. Yes. Danwell Warren. Hello. That's a new name. Greetings. Had two great lower bull Canuck games <laughs> before lockdown. Seeing Hughes up close. It's hard to articulate. Yeah. Hughes is a mutant. He's an extremely talented player for sure. Uh, Michael Rogers. Hello. Love your work. Thank you. I love your work too. Whatever it is that you do. Uh, thanks for providing. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. I'm more than happy. Uh, I'm wondering if you see any players currently suffering from prospect fatigue where they're overanalyzed and underappreciated. Lucas Raymond. Easy. Thanks for the layup. Yeah, it's Lucas Raymond. I mean, people, I think, are are really reading the tea leaves, reading through the, the tea leaves on this and, and thinking way too much. Uh, that That's definitely one player. Um, there's It's interesting to see players who are, they come into the season with high expectations and then they don't meet them. And then they just drop like a rock, you know, like Jean-Luc Foodie is a guy who came into this season with pretty good expectations. I, I I don't recall early rankings, but I feel like he was pretty, pretty high early in the year, like preseason rankings and stuff. I think that he's perfectly legitimate as a hockey player. Uh, and people are, I think, overanalyzing his legitimate weaknesses rather than focusing on just how good he is uh, in certain areas of the game. Obviously, those certain areas of the game aren't all of the game, but there are certainly players out there who I think you're right. They do suffer from a bit of fatigue. Um, wanted to know if you've seen the Canucks live this season. I have not. I live in Toronto, so I don't get out to Vancouver very often. Uh, with how good the Belleville Senators were this year, uh, guys like Batherson, Norris, Formanton, Abramov, and Branstrom all had very impressive performances in the AHL. That is true. Does that speak to how good these prospects are? Do you think their numbers are a bit inflated based on how good the team was? I don't know the right answer for that. I think though that I would much rather those players be the ones driving the bus on my junior team or on my minor team than and and see and use that as positive motivation for them next year. I'm of the belief that my players go to the AHL if I'm not perfectly sure that they can handle it mentally, physically, you know, skill-wise, like there's and there's nothing wrong. There is to me nothing wrong with looking at Eric Brandstrom and realizing just how good of a prospect he is and saying, all right, we think you're phenomenal, but get yourself to Belleville because you're going to, you know, and find an apartment because you're there until the end of next season. That's how this is going to work because we don't think you're ready yet. But if you want to be like the senators have been doing and kind of ping ponging him up or up and down, he's not scoring, you know, you're turning him into like Victor Mete 2.0 where you have this, you have something, you, you have it. And then you just keep screwing around for a year over year. And then you end up with this mixed bag, mixed result with something that you had really nice at the beginning. 
I think there's nothing wrong with saying to your guys, look, go to the AHL and hang out there and ride this out. And, you know, you come to camp. I mean, I expect this to happen anyway next year. But the Senators, I think, come to camp and go, okay, Batherson, Norris, Formington, Abramov, Brandstrom, like you said, those guys are all, you know, they have to earn the job, but you're expecting them to earn the job. That's perfectly reasonable to me. You might you might sign some guys, some bottom six guys in, in, in free agency and say, all right, these are the guys whose jobs you have to beat. I these are guys that you want me to put on waivers at the beginning of the draft of the of the year. That's your job, you know, to Vitaly Abramov. It's like if you want to make the NHL, you gotta outplay these guys who have been in the league for ten years and are scrounging for a job, and you have to force me to waive them. I gave them an opportunity, I'm giving you an opportunity, who's gonna win? You know? Like at some point you do have to test your prospects for sure. You know, like, and I think the Senators are kind of at that point. They outperformed expectations this year, and I think they're going to start looking to take steps forward. So that's my approach, is you don't just gift them a roster spot, but you have guys on your team who, you know, are just sort of guys that you might end up putting on waivers if your prospects can't beat them immediately, um, and then you just kind of go from there. Uh, it's It's not perfect, um, but it definitely does bode well when the guys driving the bus on your minor team that is good are your own prospects that are 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, it's not guaranteed, but again, this is all about probability and it pushes the probability in your favor. Uh, favorites from the U- U17 NTDP team. Um, Luke Hughes, obviously. Uh, Dylan Duke is one that I've really liked watching. Uh, Cruz Lucius is is a really good player as well. Um, but the one, yeah, Dylan Duke is the one that stuck out to me quite a bit. Uh, let me just got to remind myself of their names. There's a lot of crazy names on that team. Um, their name is USA national U17 team. There they are. Luden hog. There's a name. Um, okay. So yeah, Justin Janicki is another one that I've really liked uh sasha pastyov that's the one everyone kind of seems to know already um yeah but dylan duke is the one that kind of really sticks out to me i like jack divine uh but yeah dylan duke is the one that i i think is is a is a favorite to watch from what i've seen he's a he's a real rocket ship and i like rocket ships always have had one in my bedroom growing up um which teams have had good drafts recently in your opinion in terms of how they're picking each okay so the Kings last year killed it. The Hurricanes killed it. The Habs, I thought, did pretty well. Um, trying to remember all the teams. 2019, 2018, I'm trying to remember. I'll have to go back and look, but definitely the Kings. Oh, the Rangers had a really good draft last year, I thought, as well. Um, 2018, I'll have to go back and look. Rain check on 2018, but I would definitely say the Kings, the Hurricanes, and the Rangers were the big winners last year, I, I, I thought. Uh, how do you like Ian Mitchell? I He's improved quite a lot in college. I like him. I don't know if he's got a tremendous amount of NHL upside, but he's a good offense, you know, a good two-way, but offensive-leaning defenseman, and, and I, I dig him. I, I dig Ian Mitchell. I liked him at the World Junior uh, when he was there, and, and he's a good player, for sure. Uh, thoughts on William Villeneuve? It's hard to find someone who's faced more two-on-ones. Than- <laughs> That's funny. It's funny because it's true. Um, I really like William Villeneuve when it comes to his skill and his shot. I think he shoots the puck really, really well. Um, Nice hard shot from the point. 
and his, and his skill is really good. But his defensive play on its own is also not great. Um, I've been watching him lately, and, and, and I have him ranked at the end of the second round. His data suggests he should be a first-round pick, but I don't think the skating is there yet. Um, it could be, maybe, but the skill is really kind of where he's going to make his money. The shot, I thought his passing ability is pretty good as well, but I haven't tracked anything on him yet. At least, yeah, at least not yet. Uh, all right, let's close this out, guys. Uh, favorite player from the NCAA this year? Ooh. Jeez, that's a good question. I will say I didn't see a tremendous amount of the NCAA this year since I track data and there's only one player. Um, there's only one player. Uh, oh, my God. There's only one player in the NHL draft this year who's eligible. Um, I don't know why I went to Google to find an Elite Prospects link, but such is life. Um, yeah, so where am I here? Favorite uh, favorite NCAA player. Yeah, I didn't get to see a ton of any NCAA games. Um, I did get to see Dylan Holloway, obviously, because he's a draft-eligible guy and, and, and finishing up the tracking on him. I've always loved David Ference. I think he's a just... I'm so happy that he's kind of turned a corner and he's got come a long way since his freshman year. Um, Tyler Madden is a lot of fun. Definitely a really good player there for, for the Kings long-term. I think that that was a great deal for them to make. Um, Trevor Zegras as well, a really, really fun player in, in the NCAA. Um, who else? Uh, if you can't figure it out, I like fun. I enjoy fun hockey. And there are some fun players. Jack Rathbone is another one who I've liked. Oh, boy. But those those are the general ones, I would say. Brett Stapley. Why do I know that name? We'll come back on that. Uh, oh, right, because the Habs drafted him. Um, interesting. Okay. Uh, where are we here? Oh, I missed a question from Ryan Furchette. Are there any players where their eye test and data don't match? William Villeneuve is one, I think. Uh, one that sticks out. Uh, another one might be, let me take a look here. Helga Granz is one where I think the eye test and data don't match up with what people are saying, interestingly. Um, but yeah, those are the ones that, that are, excuse me, those are the ones that stick out immediately to me. Any 2019 draft prospects that had disappointing D plus ones in your opinion? Uh, oh my God, I have the hiccups. Uh, Ethan Keppen is one. I was really hoping that he'd have a better year. Um, I don't know what happened in Flint with him, but, but he took a step back. I, I can't imagine that's permanent. I think he's a great player, a uh, really good physical winger. And for a fifth round pick with a low, you know, high floor, low ceiling, I think he's got potential. Just, I don't know what happened with him. Um, just didn't seem to take a step and, and I don't know. It just didn't seem as effective as he was last year, unfortunately. Uh, but it's not over. It's only been a year. Uh, let me take another look at the draft, um, 2019 NHL draft, and we'll go through this really quick because, uh, I'm already running a little over time here, guys. Uh, Simon Holmstrom went straight to the AHL, which was kind of weird to me, and he seemed to be having a lot of trouble with that, and they didn't do anything about it, so I don't know what happened there. Going from Swedish junior hockey to the AHL is a heck of a, of a jump, especially when you were injured. I don't know how that was done in terms of a development standpoint, but okay. Uh, don't want to argue with Lou Lamarillo too much. 
Um, who else kind of has... T- I mean, Brett Leeson, I wasn't surprised, but Brett Leeson is up there with, with the guys who've had not-so-great follow-up years. Um, not so great. Uh, how was Victor Soderstrom in the SHL this year? Extremely good. And, uh, yeah, I think the Coyotes have a pretty good defenseman there. I don't know if he's as good as his number is indicated, at least early on in the year, but he's very good. Uh, I'm wondering if you've ever seen Colby Saganiak from the U17. Yeah, he's good. I like Colby Saganiak. I didn't mention him, but I've seen him play. I've seen that team play a couple of times, and he's pretty good. Um, just not one that jumped out as much uh, as some other guys on that team, at least not yet, but still early. Um, last question of the night. Why does Russia produce the best goalies? I don't know, but I think it's because the Russian attitude seems to be, I don't care how it gets done. Just do it right. Like I, it stop the fricking puck. I, I'm not going to sit and teach a technique for eight hours a day if you can't stop a puck. So there's a lot of guys in Russia. Georgie Romanov is one. Shamil Shmakov is another one. Um, trying to remember some other Russian goalies who play like this. Uh, um, there's a guy that a lot of people are mentioning, Timur Rakunov this year, who play like Tim Thomas. It's just it's chaos. They 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 scramble. Um, but you know what? There's such a thing as a scrambling quarterback in football where it looks like it's just chaos all the time, and they just run and make running passes and and they keep things under control that way. I don't think it's impossible to be a successful goaltender that way. The best goalie of all time wasn't the very wasn't a technical goalie whatsoever in Dominic Hasek. He was not at all technical and he was the best goalie of all time. I don't care what anyone says. Um, Tim Thomas had some of the best statistical seasons in history by being Tim Thomas. He was insane. He was a madman in net. Um, so I feel like Russia's attitude often is just save the fricking puck. I don't care how we'll teach you how to not suck, but use your own best judgment to stop pucks. Like if you ever watch, this is not goalie related, but if you ever watch how Russians train kids playing hockey, they don't, they don't use, they use like everyday objects as like, you know, like in Canada, we've got like hockeyshot.com where these, all these fancy tools that you can use like fake ice and you know, the, the fake stick that you can lift up and deke around and all that. It's like the Russians just build their own and just throw it on the ice and make an obstacle course and then just go, go fast, do, do obstacle course fast, go do it. And they go out and they do it faster and faster. And like I've said a few times, hockey is about adaptation. Hockey is about reading situations, adapting to weird things that happen, being quick and, you know, doing things quickly and adapting quickly. And sometimes the Russians are really good at, uh, at, at, at just throwing stuff at you and saying, go figure it out, you know, do, just do go. And you're like, okay, fine. And you just kind of have to do it. They don't, they don't really care how, but just do it. Um, (laughs) I just saw the comment Evgeny Nabokov was, was extremely technical. Okay. Uh, Like, I'm sure, I'm sure that they train their goalies in some level of technicality, for sure. Um, if I'm not mistaken, did he, was he, did he spend his whole junior career in Russia? Yes, he did. Um, interesting. I mean, he played there until he was 22. So, plenty of time to learn uh, the technicality of it. But, but, you know, guys can sometimes get away with a lot in Russia, which is kind of fascinating. Um... 
but goalie, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert on goaltending either, uh, unfortunately. Um, but from what I've seen of Russian goaltending, there's a lot of that, of, of real chaos, but sometimes that chaos can get refined into something quite interesting. Like, look at Andre Vasilevsky. Some of the saves that he makes are just like, how do you even know the puck is there? How do you even know the puck is behind your back? How do you even know that this is happening? How do you know? And it's like probably because he's faced this situation quite a few times before where he's completely out of out of out of the situation and then he isn't. You know, cuz they can adapt. They can they can figure out what's going on really quickly and just kind of go, "No, it's not going in. As long as the puck doesn't go in, I don't care. I don't care. I could kick a rebound out to a dude in a high danger area and I just have to worry about stopping that shot too." Fine. That's cool. Um and you know, it might be risky, but if you can stop the puck, you can stop the puck. That's that's my attitude, and we're going to end on that. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. This was lovely. Uh, you're all great. Um, we kind of went all over the place tonight, but this was a good one. My internet held up. All the work that I've done seems to be holding. Um, I think it's because I had too many devices going at once. I'm a bit of a techno geek, and we have a lot of things connected to the internet at once. And I think it might have overloaded uh, when one too many things got hooked up. It seems to be correlated to when Netflix gets turned on and a bunch of other things were also happening at once. So we kept the Netflix running upstairs, turned the stream on, kept the Netflix running, and we made it. So we're getting to some place where it makes sense. But that's all on me. You don't need to worry about that. You're great. Thanks for joining me. This was lovely. I will see you on Sunday, probably. Uh, I think that will still be happening. Um... Also, uh, I am very curious about this, though, before I go. Uh, feel free to DM me or or I'll make a poll on Twitter or something. But the live streams don't take up a tremendous amount of my time. But I've started to do two a week. And I'm wondering if two a week is more advantageous for the viewers than more video work. So it would free up another night to either track or do videos. Um or edit videos or whatever. And if you want to see more of the video side of things, then maybe two live streams might not be super sustainable for a tremendous amount of time. For now, sure, but maybe not forever. Um, or if you just want to see my face and do this more, then I'm more than happy to continue doing this. Think, Feel free to think about it. I don't know what the answer is. This came up like literally three hours ago. Um, but anyway, just thought. Um, Thank you very much for joining me. This was lovely. Uh, we'll see you on Sunday and we'll do this all again. And uh, thank you very much. Have a lovely remainder of your respective.